Welcome to Take Up and Read, a bite-sized Bible study podcast on the Sunday Catholic Mass readings. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. This Sunday is the 23rd Sunday of Ordinary Time in Year C. Our first reading is Exodus 32, verses 7-11 through 11 and 13-14, through 14, the infamous golden calf incident at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses had been up on the mountain for 40 days and nights, speaking with God, and the impatient Israelites, figuring him for dead, commit the paradigmatic sin of the Old Testament by creating an idol. Later, the kings of the breakaway northern kingdom of Israel will repeat this sin. See 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28. The Lord's anger is evidenced in his attributing ownership of the people to Moses. Go down at once to your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. This is in contrast to the Lord's words earlier at Exodus 29:46, And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. As well as with Moses' own words in verse 11. Moses protests God's wish to destroy the Israelites and start over with a new people descended from Moses. Moses does so by recalling the Lord's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's covenant with the patriarchs is known in biblical scholarship as a grant-type covenant, in which a superior party, God, binds himself to an inferior, Abraham, in return for a prior good service rendered, namely Abram's faith. The superior party, God, accepts all responsibility for the covenant, not imposing any obligations on the inferior, Abraham. For this reason, many figures throughout the Bible will refer to this covenant in their prayers to the Lord, asking him to remember his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, despite the failings of his descendants. Nonetheless, the people show themselves to be stiff-necked, a metaphor from an ox who refuses to cooperate with its plowman's yoke. In Exodus 19.6, the Lord had called Israel a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now they have become depraved and turn aside from the way by worshiping the idol and subsequent references to Israel as a priestly kingdom in the Old Testament refer to the future messianic age. Jesus ushers in this new covenant, and the priestly kingdom imagery is taken up again by the Apostle John in Revelation 1.6 and 5.10. Why would the Israelites specifically create a golden calf to worship? Bull and calf idols were found all over the ancient Near East and represented deities of military might. Having witnessed their stunning deliverance from the Egyptian army, such a depiction would have made sense to the newly liberated people. It does not necessarily seem that the Israelites have rejected their god, but rather have conflated their worship of him with the Egyptian paganism left behind. It is not clear in the Hebrew grammar whether the people are worshipping multiple gods, or merely think the golden calf is some sort of likeness of the true god. Regardless, the Lord has already commanded that they not make graven images at Exodus 20 verse 4 in 22 and 23. So by this act, they have committed a grave sin in violation of the covenant. The narrative here turns on Moses' reminding God that he cannot go back on his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with the Lord seemingly changing his mind. Such anthropomorphism is common in the Old Testament, but need not imply that God has human emotions or that his immutable will is actually changeable. In the scriptures, God speaks to human beings in ordinary human language, with much of the biblical history taking place in a time and culture very different from our own. 
Such anthropomorphism is God revealing himself to man in a way that he can understand, imparting both his justice and his mercy, and inviting Moses to play an intercessory role for the people. The Catechism of the Catholic Church describes this divine pedagogy at paragraph 53. God communicates himself to man gradually. He prepares him to welcome by stages the supernatural revelation that is to culminate in the person and mission of the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. Our psalm this Sunday is Psalm 51, which is attributed to King David after his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. For the whole sad story, see 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. David writes this psalm in a spirit of repentance after being confronted by the prophet Nathan. Psalm 51 is a prominent penitential prayer in Christian use and is known in Catholic tradition as the miserere, the first word of the psalm in its Latin translation, have mercy on me. It is featured four times in the three-year lectionary cycle, including at the Easter Vigil. It is fittingly matched here with our first reading in Gospel, both highlighting the theme of our repentance and God's superabundant mercy. The word translated goodness in the first verse here is the Hebrew word hesed, which refers to the covenant faithfulness of God to his people in the Old Testament. No matter how far Israel goes astray, the Lord remains faithful, delivering them when they turn back to him. This concept has particular resonance in tandem with Moses' prayer in our first reading. In the last verse, David offers his contrite heart as his sacrifice. As important as the temple sacrifices are in the Old Testament, they are just a sign of and catalyst for the even greater sacrifice of a humble and contrite heart, spoken of by many of the prophets. This Sunday's second reading is 1 Timothy verse, or chapter 1, verses 12-17. through 17. St. Paul's eloquent thanksgiving for the grace given him by Jesus with a strong declaration of our Christ, of Christ's divinity. Here Paul is writing to his friend and missionary partner Timothy, regarding Timothy's pastoral care of Ephesus as its bishop. In fact, Paul's two letters to Timothy and another to Titus are collectively known as the pastoral epistles. Remember that Paul, previously known as Saul, was a Pharisee and persecutor of Christians. Though his reading was not specifically chosen to harmonize with our other readings, Paul's story is a dramatic testament to God's mercy. This passage contains one of the most quoted lines from Scripture. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of these, I am the foremost. Our Gospel this Sunday is Luke 15, verses 1-32, through 32, with Jesus again confronted by Pharisees regarding his outreach to the religiously marginalized. He tells two short parables, followed by the parable of the prodigal son one of the most iconic and beloved passages from the preaching of Jesus. The scene opens with the scribes and Pharisees implicating Jesus in guilt by association. To fraternize with those who do not keep the Jewish law invited speculation that Jesus himself is ritually unclean. With these parables, Jesus declares that the moral trajectory here goes the other way. It is he who will call sinners to repentance and reconcile them to right worship. He loves them not by leaving them as they are, but by insisting upon their conversion. The shepherd imagery here is common in the Old Testament, as well as the teaching of Jesus, most notably his good shepherd discourse at John 10 verses 1 through 10. The coins in the second parable are Greek silver drachmas, equivalent to a typical daily wage, and thus very valuable. The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin employ a bit of hyperbole. 
it seems unlikely that anyone would throw a party over such trivial recoveries, or leave 99 sheep unguarded to search for one more. But that is the point. With these striking parables, Jesus proclaims the inexhaustible mercy of God in the great depths of his love for us. He far outstrips the human capacity for love, not forgetting a single one of his creations. God's mercy, granted to Israel in our first reading and sought so poetically in our psalm, is most emblematically told in the third parable, that of the prodigal son. The prodigal son insults his father by asking for his inheritance early and departs, quickly descending into scandalous living in Gentile territory. And during the ultimate humiliation for a Jew, he takes a job tending to swine, which render one ritually unclean for temple worship. In taking back his son, the loving father puts his son back into right relationship not only with himself, but with God as well. In verses 18 and 20, the word translated as arise and arose is the same Greek word used in the manuscript of Luke for Jesus' resurrection. See Luke 18 verse verse 33. Like our Lord Jesus, the prodigal son finds a sort of resurrection in his renewed relationship with his father and with God. In verse 20, the phrase for the father embracing his son is more literally translated as fell upon his neck a description of an emotional reunion used in the Old Testament to depict the meeting of Jacob and Esau, Joseph and Benjamin, and Joseph and his father Jacob. Verse 22, in verse 22, the merciful father provides a fine robe, a ring, and shoes for his prodigal son, all ancient symbols of honor. The older, obedient son, however, is angry with the treatment his dissolute brother is receiving. Notice that the father came out to his older son just as he humbly ran to meet his prodigal younger son. While the father refers to the elder as my son, the older son does not similarly address his father, instead launching into his complaint, Look, all these years I served you. Moreover, he refers to his younger brother merely as his father's son. In a spiritual sense, the older son is lost as well, but has not yet been found. Here we return to the Pharisees. The tension at the end of the parable of the prodigal son is not yet resolved, as it is up to the Pharisees, cast in the role of the angry older son, to decide how they will respond to the era of God's mercy being brought by the Messiah, Jesus. As for the prodigal son, the episode ends in a celebratory feast, evoking the wedding feast of the Lamb celebrated by the saints in heaven and recorded in the book of Revelation. See Revelation 19.9. Indeed, a fattened calf would have been sufficient to feed an entire village. Some of the early church fathers found in this parable an allegory of the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in the human family, among them St. Augustine and St. Cyril of Alexandria. The older son represents the Jews, the chosen people, most of whom resist Jesus' claim to be their Messiah, while the Gentiles, represented by the younger son, converted to the early church in droves. Here the father takes their cue from St. Paul in Romans 11, verses 25 through 26. A hardening has come upon Israel in part until the full number of the Gentiles comes in, and thus all Israel will be saved. The Catechism of the Catholic Church sums up this parable in paragraph 1439. The process of conversion and repentance was described by Jesus in the parable of the prodigal son, the center of which is the merciful father, the fascination of illusory freedom, the abandonment of the father's house, the extreme misery in which the son finds himself after squandering his fortune, his deep humiliation at finding himself obliged to feed swine, 
and still worse, at wanting to feed on the husks the pigs ate. His reflection on all he has lost, his repentance and decision to declare himself guilty before his father, the journey back, the father's generous welcome, the father's joy. All these are characteristic of the process of conversion. The beautiful robe, the ring, and the festive banquet are symbols of that new life, pure, worthy, and joyful, of anyone who returns to God into the bosom of his family, which is the church. Only the heart of Christ, who knows the depths of his Father's love, could reveal to us the abyss of his mercy in so simple and beautiful a way. That's all we have time for today. Let's conclude with the collect from the Sunday's Mass. Look upon us, O God, creator and ruler of all things, and that we may feel the working of your mercy. Grant that we may serve you with all our heart. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn more and find resources, visit studycatholic.com. And please tell your friends about the show and leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. Thanks again, and God bless.